You're all the same, the lot of you, with your long hair and faggot clothes, drugs, sex, every sort of filth. And you hate the police, don't you? You make it easy. You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on sight. The following podcast may contain language and discussions of a frank and adult nature, and spoilers regarding the films discussed are always to be expected. Thank you for joining us. Now start the show, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight! Welcome to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, episode 134. I'm your host, Lee. I wish the dead could come back to life, you bastard, so then I could kill you again, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. The dead don't walk around except in very bad paperback novels, Harper. How are you doing, sir? I've uh, got a bottle of Oktoberfest and doing doing well, basically. Nice. So we're continuing our little uh, trend of horror movies here. Uh, we're going to be looking at. I, I was a little bit surprised at this one. There, there were no vampires. Yeah, uh, I didn't know that. I didn't know they made movies that didn't have vampires in them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to be uh, looking at "Let Sleeping Corpses Lie," or also known as. Well, we'll get into what it's also known as uh, when we get into the actual review uh, from 1974. Quickly, I'll just mention something that I watched in the last little while. The other night, I just sort of was rolling around the uh, more illicit places to find movies, Put Locker, of course, and I looked into... I was like, you know what? I haven't seen a lot of Tony Scott films. I've avoided a couple of them just because eh, they, they look it's, like generic shit. It's, it's Tony Scott, right, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I love True Romance. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. Mm-hmm. So I should give some more of his stuff uh, a little bit of a go. And so I watched uh, Revenge from 1990. Are you familiar with this one? I haven't seen that one, no. It's the one that is starring Kevin Costner, Madeline Stowe, and Anthony Quinn. And it's sort of a... <laughs> Hold on, this movie was made in 1990, you said? Yes. What? Oh, man, I never would have thought. Uh, but yeah, but it's sort of it's sort of a neo noir in, in a way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's actually really good. Kevin Costner plays this retiring Air Force pilot who goes down to Mexico to uh, meet up with his basically mob boss friend uh, in Anthony Quinn, and maybe Anthony Quinn maybe kind of wants him to work for him eventually or something along those lines. But he decides to, he sort of falls in love with uh, Anthony Quinn's uh, trophy wife, and they have an affair, and they get found out. And Anthony Quinn takes, I'll just say, brutal revenge on both of them. And then the rest of the story is Kevin Costner recovering from this revenge and then going after Anthony Quinn for what he did. And uh, it's really good. I was pleasantly surprised with how good it was. It maybe kind of wraps up a little too quickly, like in the last 15 minutes, all the real action sort of happens and, and mm-hmm. kind of wraps up. But up until then, it like works really well. In, in a way, it's kind of like an updated version of Bring Me the Hit of Alfredo Garcia, in, in a way, just as the sort of like travel log aspects of it, going through Mexico or whatever. All the different weird people that Kevin Costner sort of meets up with as he's uh, trying to bite and claw his way back to life and, uh, and, and get revenge on Anthony Quinn. And I liked it a lot. I think it's one we should do on the podcast at some yeah, point. Sounds like it. It sounds like the next crime movie series we need to mm-hmm. uh, throw that in. Or oh, noir, if we're going to do like strict noir again. I don't know. Well, but yeah, it sounds definitely like something we should do. It's brutal, though. Like what they do to Madeline Stowe to, to, to get revenge on her. Uh, oh, man. And it's also got Thomas uh, Millian, who, who we've uh, seen in some spaghetti westerns and, uh, and such. Nice. On the podcast before. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm definitely, definitely down. We can uh, we can throw on a uh, body heat. I know you've never seen body heat, and right. uh, that's one of those uh, classic. You know, you've got to see body heat. It sounds uh, very different in terms of plot, but uh, it might have a uh, kind of similar kind of tone in some ways. So uh, we'll we'll definitely have to check that out sometime as well. It's, it's funny. I don't know if it's something that Tony Scott liked from his male leads or not. At least his white male leads, because I mean, he worked with Denzel Washington quite a bit in a lot of his films. Yeah. So I actually yep. really like Man on Fire. 
Like mm-hmm. Man on Fire is a like a really underrated film. Sorry, uh, please continue. Kevin Costner looks in in several shots in this. He looks so much like Christian Slater does in True Romance. <laughs> it's the same kind of like hairstyle almost, and right, yeah, yeah. And, and the way they squint and stuff like that. Well, they're it's, only a few years apart. True Romance is what ninety two or ninety three. Ninety two, I think. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's kind of that era and. You know, the thing with Tony Scott was he, you know, he's a guy who he did, he did like Top Gun and shit. You know, he was, he was one of those deeply commercial directors who, who kind of just in some ways followed the trends and in some ways just kind of did the, the big bombastic version of whatever was, was on trend at any given time. And so, you know, you you don't go, uh, you don't go to to Tony Scott for restraint. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, no, not at all. Yeah. Domino would be another one that would be fun to do. Uh, oh yeah, uh, yeah. That one's got Tom Waits as a crazy uh, pr- uh, preacher uh, that she she meets up with in the desert. Yeah. The the only thing you need to know about Domino is it's got uh, Kira Knightley flirting with Lucy Liu. Uh, um, that works uh, too. You know that's that's it. That's it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we can take a quick uh, break here, and we'll play a little bit of music, some podcast promos, and we'll come back with Let Sleeping Corpses Live. You ungodly warlock. You go through your week with the same old routine. What you really want is some blood and thunder in your life. Well, friend, you found it. The Chromecast is an adventurous journey through the history of two-fisted pulp stories with your hosts, John, Josh, and Luke. We have action, horror, and adventure, all through the lens of pulp luminary Robert E. Howard. Don't just stay in your ordinary life. Find your pulp life at thecromcast.blogspot.com. The Cromcast. The Cromcast. The Cromcast. A podcast for the barbarian at heart. Badasses, Boobs, and Body Counts is a weekly podcast that discusses all things Grindhouse, Exploitation, Drive-In, and B-Movies. Your three hosts, Mike. We're, we're going to discuss the Renee Martinez-directed picture, the $6,000. What? Time, Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's the name of the Super movie. Super Soul that's, Brother. That's the name. When you that's start the movie. DVD cover. When you start the movie, the first thing that that's comes what it up says. is the title, and it says $6,000. Mark. And I've been around a girl stroking a horse's dick somehow somewhere down the line i'm gonna use that clip against you (laughs) please do and listener favorite iris the deployment sock and i'm like deployment sock what the fuck is a deployment sock he goes you know you know that sock that you just use oh my god you guys are so gross (laughs) see so it happens for real people do come inside we'll make you question your political correctness while laughing at theirs episodes drop sunday and can be found by searching for bb and bc podcast via itunes lipson stitcher google play music and everywhere else you can download quality podcasts from you can also listen to episodes directly from the show's website at bbnbcpodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Hello, This is the Doom Show. I'm Richard. And I hate the burning. Shh, who are you? Speak. <laughs> and I'm Brad. She came in and said, bark, bark, bark. <laughs> and he said, bark, bark, bark. And she said, bark, 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 bark. That's what I got. One is the Suspiria boner. The other is the Inferno boner. <laughs> which, anyway. Which one is crying? <laughs> the boner of tears. <laughs> Hello, This is the Doomed Show is available on Show.podomatic. Dot com and doomedmoviethon.com Hello, hello, this is the Doom Show, Richard Brad, Jeffrey Nava. It's the Doom Show. Hello, hello, this is the Doom Show, slashes, Giallo, and horror. You ungodly warlock.
Okay, let Sleeping Corpses Lie from 1974. Anyone about? Sergeant, your Christ and saints are out of fashion. Satan's all the rage these days. Listen, boy, you keep getting on my nerves, and I'm going to give you another kind of house to look after. One with lots of bars in the windows. <laughs> we better reinforce that door. Take the lamp. I can just imagine the sergeant's face when he finds out. Craig, can you hear me? Sergeant, they're dead people trying to kill me! Message for you. Look, I know it sounds silly, but is it possible? I mean, could a film fail to catch an image for any reason? Well, a ghost, maybe. It's also known as, and these are just the other English titles. There's several foreign language titles that this comes under as well. But it's also known as The Living Dead at Manchester Morgue, The Living Dead, it's Zombie 3 at one point. It was trying to, they tried to shoehorn it into the Italian zombie movie series. Don't Open the Window, which is one of the more perplexing ones. Do Not Speak Ill of the Dead as well. I guess it was uh, Edgar Wright who did one of the uh, Grindhouse trailers, uh, the mm-hmm. one Don't. This Don't was one of the movies that inspired that sort of idea. Because oh, yeah. there, there were a bunch of movies that had that sort of like, don't open the window, don't go in the basement, uh, you know, don't go in the woods. So don't this, don't uh, use uh, ground-penetrating radar on corpses, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is directed by Jorge Grau. 
written by Juan Cabos, uh, Sandro Constantinia, whatever, uh, Marcelo. The, the greatest thing about doing Italian films on this podcast is listening to Lee completely butcher every single name. I, I got Jorge Grau right. You, you, you did, yes. But I researched that one. Yeah. <laughs> I looked up the pronunciation because otherwise I just would have said George Grau. Uh, Miguel <laughs> Rubio is starring Christina Galbo as Edna Simmons, Ray Lovelock as George Meaning, and Ray Lovelock is actually an Italian actor. That just happened to be his name. He just had like a sort of a Western name, more Western name. Arthur Kennedy as the inspector. I know Arthur Kennedy from one other film. Uh, I've probably seen him in other stuff, but uh, I know him from Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. In that, yeah. Aldo Masasso as Kinsey, Giorgio Tristini as Craig, Roberto Posse as Benson, Jose Lefant as Martin West, Janine Mestra as Katie West. I'm assuming this is Ginger Gotti as Keith. I didn't look at the pronunciation, but I, I think that's just like a different way of saying ginger. Either, either that or it's Ginger. And I, I think it, I think it's Genghis Khan. I think that's yeah, Genghis Khan. Yeah, <laughs> and Fernando Hilbeck as uh, Guthrie Wilson, and we do have uh, this. This is going back to our talk of IMDb reviewers uh, and uh, synopsis uh, levers from last week. There's two on the IMDb page from the same person, so they decided to write two. They decided to. They did it once, and then uh, went back and did the second. You know, I can do that better, and then yeah, again. so. But there, and there was also one other one that was actually way better than the two that this person provided. But I just wanted to uh, put these two uh, in, in in the limelight here. So Jojo Mac writes first: a cop chases two young people visiting the English countryside, suspecting them of lo- local murder. Unbeknownst to him, the real culprits are living dead, brought to life with a thirst for human flesh by radiation being used by area farmers as a pesticide alternative. His second one. This might actually be the earlier one, because I think he kind of maybe didn't watch the film first, didn't watch the film and corrected himself. (laughs) It says, a cop chases two hippies suspected of a series of Manson family-like murders. Unbeknownst to him, the real culprits are the living dead brought to life with the thirst for human flesh by chemical pesticides being used by area farmers. So I think someone uh, actually watched the film after they wrote the uh, synopsis and then was like, oh shit, I don't know how to delete my old one. (laughs) It sounds like the first one was I read the back of the VHS box. Maybe, yeah. uh, You know, wrote it and then, you know, that that feels a little bit like came out of Leonard Maltin's pen or something, you know. <laughs> yeah, Leonard Maltin. Has just that just that level of cheese that uh, you know the the second one uh, definitely. Uh, we we always appreciate editing skills, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, making your writing better. Uh, bravo <laughs> to you. Yeah. Pseudonymous uh, IMDb commenter. <laughs> but. Yeah, you're fairly close in both of them, really. I mean, it's yeah, no, just... it's 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 a pretty straightforward plot, really, and I uh, captured it pretty well. Um, there are a lot of uh, sideline characters that are that are that our synopsis writer didn't get into, and mm-hmm. uh, which are kind of pointless to bother getting into. You know, yes, to some degree. There's a lot of uh, there's there's a lot of kind of sideline people who kind of show up and have things to do in this movie and then die, um, mm-hmm. and come back to life and then kill other people. If you uh, wanted to, uh, just to let you know, uh, not you, Lee, but the uh, the audience, the synopsis on uh, Wikipedia is something like eight paragraphs long, and <laughs> probably about three of them are actually uh, worthwhile. <laughs> yeah, so uh, this is actually a Spanish-Italian co-production, so um, although it was mostly filmed in uh, Italy, and there's uh, like a couple different places in the UK that was filmed, because it's supposed to be set in... Somerset, I believe. Although, and it's which makes it weird that they call the uh, the title "The Living Dead" in Manchester Morgue. But I guess maybe the morgue is over in Manchester. I don't know how far away that is from Somerset. Uh, so whatever. But if only um, we knew some British people or had access to Google Maps. Uh, yeah, could, you know. <laughs> I'm not going that deep into the research. Come on now. Yeah. But yeah, what th- this is one I've 
I've seen multiple times, so uh, I'm assuming this is your first uh, watch. My first viewing. I really enjoyed this, despite the fact that I was kind of dinging it for uh, being slightly overplotted and kind of underplotted at the same time. (laughs) The thing that I really appreciated about it is that this does, uh, more than any film I've seen not directed by George Romero, it feels like it could have been directed by George Romero. Yeah. Um, And and, and I mean that not as a... uh, not as a ripoff, not not as a not as kind of a. It doesn't feel like kind of that you know zombie craze. We're just gonna kind of do the gore and you know make something cheesy and stupid. And you know once it gets to 80, 82 minutes, just to cut it off. I mean, it feels like they're. This is trying to kind of do something interesting and different um, with its uh, concept. It's got some really nice score effects. I really appreciated some of the uh, some of the look of the film. Um, but overall, I mean, you know, I kept. You know, particularly at the beginning when we do kind of get these this uh, this kind of couple, this uh, boy and a girl kind of hanging out in the car. Um, it does feel a little bit like Night of the Living Dead, like that opening 10 yeah. minutes of Night of the Living Dead just kind of extends for the first half of the film in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, it also does have that kind of uh, dynamic of, uh, you know, the hippies kind of being uh, attacked. They're not really hippies. I mean, I don't know. They kind of gesture at this a little bit. It's a little bit kind of unclear exactly what they're trying to do. But, I mean, there is a sense of kind of the the, uh, the old man, the old conservative, you know, right-wing cop, uh, not liking the, the kids with their long hair and their rock music these days, you know. And uh, <laughs> Arthur Kennedy is uh, – I can't tell if he's dramatically overacting or if he's acting this perfectly. Um, That's kind of the key to uh, understanding that performance is. I can't tell if he's right on point with this, or if he's really, really bad. But uh, he was—he was a delight in the film. But yeah, no, it, it, it kind of has that going on. It's and it, it does—it does feel like there's a brand in its head. It does feel like something that it does feel like it—it's it, much more thoughtful than a film of this kind necessarily has to be. And I—I uh, I really enjoyed it. I don't think it's on my you know kind of best of list, but it's—it's—it's mm-hmm. it's, it's close. It's—it's it's definitely uh, really really enjoyable, and it's one that I would probably uh, revisit at some point. Nice. Yeah, this is one that's kind of flown under the radar for a long time. Like, it was just kind of like the DVD era kind of brought this back into more mm-hmm. public attention. Because, I mean, with the multiple titles, and that's kind of what kept me away from it. And I suspect that's maybe what kept a lot of people away from it was the fact that it was under so many multiple titles. Like, when, when you kind of see that, you kind of think, okay, this film's probably crap. Because they yeah, did. because they just kind of repackage it over and over again for, you right. know, whatever. And it's just schlock. But... No, this isn't that at all. This has a, a real, you know, it's got real talent behind it. It looks gorgeous. I don't know the uh, the version. Um, you know, I definitely did not watch the version on Rare Lust. Um, <laughs> I absolutely. Um, this one, I could not find this uh, legally available to stream anywhere. Amazon uh, has the DVD, so you can get the DVD, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. But um, it is not available to stream, and so I did not feel bad about, you know. Yeah. Uh, Taking a copy for uh, for for viewing, and uh, the, but the version that I that I saw looked looked gorgeous. So really sure. nice photography, and really, I mean, you know, a really like clean print. So uh, that's that's always nice to see with films of this era as well. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm sure uh, eighty. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure eighty year old George Grau doesn't feel bad about you watching the photography <laughs> at this point. But yeah, this is surprisingly really good. It is obviously heavily inspired by George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. And this precedes the Italian zombie boom by about five years or so, five or six years. Yeah, it precedes Dawn of the Dead by, I mean, Dawn of the Dead is 78, is it 78 or 79? 78. 78, yeah. Yeah, so it precedes that even by four years. So it does feel like kind of an updating and and a, you know, slightly bigger budget. Uh, version of Night of the Living Dead in a lot of ways. And, yeah, it and does. That, in, in a positive way, it even feels like uh, bits of it feel inspired by the crazies. You know, yeah. with, the, uh, with the kind of ground-penetrating radar and there's, there's a there's a bit about, you know, kind of radiation suits and stuff that, I mean, it does feel like this is somebody who had a, a, a nice uh, kind of awareness of Romero's work. I've got a cat playing with my microphone. One, <laughs> one second. <laughs> come on, come on. She's a little like poking her head on the microphone to uh, to make me uh, pat her. Good job, good job. Anyway, uh, no, it does feel like this is uh, that you know someone who had a, a very up to the moment at that time awareness of Romero's work was a real appreciator of it and was kind of I don't want to say this is an homage, but was inspired by it and um, yeah. kind of did his own version of it. And I, 
I think on that level it works perfectly. Yeah, I mean, he, he directly lifts, like, s- several elements. I mean, there's the zombie attacks the girl in the car. Mm-hmm. He, he sort of does that sequence twice. Like he, yeah, yeah. He, he, so he repeats that. The zombies themselves are, they start off like Romero zombies. Right. Uh, but that's the interesting twist on this, and this is what I really like. Uh, Grau tries to, within the context of the film, tries to make everything seem scientifically plausible you know like mm-hmm. um so these people are from the environmental department are, are using this new pesticide control and it's chemical free it's this uh <laughs> sonic radiation device thingy and it looks perfectly credible like it looks like any piece of heavy machinery you'd see out in a field somewhere right mm-hmm. you know kind of thing i mean at first it looks a little bit like a metal detector that they stuck little uh, antennae on yeah, uh, which I, I thought was a very, a very kind of goofy-looking uh, device, but you know, something that you could imagine. Uh, maybe that actually does have some kind of utility of some kind. You know, yeah, that that's that's a little bit of a thing. Like that, that's something you see once, and, and then you basically forget about. It. The primary thing is the truck. That's yeah, yeah. And then later the, on, they've got the big truck. Yeah, yeah, that's got the big emitters on top. So basically, what this does is. The uh, sonic radiation from the truck apparently stimulates the nervous system of insects because their nervous systems are not as complex as ours, apparently. So it makes them go into uh, overdrive and become hyper-violent and aggressive, and they end up killing each other. And basically, that's the way it wipes out the bugs. The unforeseen side effects is that the recently dead's nervous systems that are perhaps still working, uh, much like they, they make the... Uh, much like, much like when you pluck a flower. Yes. It's, it lives for it lives for a little while. In much the same way people like flowers. That's the, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they throw that stuff in there, and as you're watching the film, you kind of buy it because it's like, yeah, it, it works in the context of this film. And then also there's the also unforeseen side effect of babies who have not yet a fully developed nervous system going hyper violent. There's a, that brief little scene in the hospital where the babies are like biting people in it, yeah. <laughs> which is, which is uh, neat. I like that. But so there's some thought behind how everything works in this film, which I really appreciate. Uh, it explains a lot more than what Romero's film did, where it leaves it up to you. Like what's bringing the zombies back here. It's obviously this machine. It's, it's not hard for this. You could imagine this being like the real, like kind of origin story of the zombies in Night of the Living Dead. In a lot right. of ways, you know, Oh, it just turned out like, Oh, it was this ground penetrating radar thing. I mean, even though the rules of the zombies work differently, but Night of the Living Dead doesn't explain anything. And it's so, you know, kind of mm-hmm. vague about that stuff that it, it's not, I mean, it is, it is not hard to see this as sort of like the real backstory of Night of the Living Dead in some ways. Yeah, and so the zombies, the way they spread the, the zombification around in, in this one is, I guess, they carry the radiation in them somehow. Like, that's where it gets a little bit convoluted. I thought they said something like they were transferring the blood, like they needed the yeah. blood of the living, and then they could transfer that blood to other corpses, and then that's how they, they said, so, you know, yeah. it sort of justifies, oh, we have to kill living people, and then, like, go to other corpses, and then to bring in, you know, that gets a little, uh, but it's really just a justification for like some really, I mean, and I, and I use this word knowing what I'm saying, some really glorious cannibalism scenes. Yeah. Uh, some of the most effective people eating people stuff I've seen anywhere. And that's, that's impressive. There, there, yeah. I wish I could find the budget for this because there is some money laid down here on, on the effects. It, it, it looks really good. I mean, there, there's one, effect near the end there where like the big finales in the hospital where one of, one of these infected zombies is, is brought into the hospital and then just all shit fucking breaks loose because of all the, they have the morgue downstairs or whatever. So a bunch of corpses there uh, get infected with the radiation and so forth, you know, but there's the scene with the nurse that they attack. Mm-hmm. And apparently the, the actress that they picked for this was flat chested so they could build the, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the breast prosthetic on there for for that whole for that whole scene. But yeah, and like you mentioned, it is sort of like the the opening is much like the opening in Night of the Living Dead. But this couple, they're not brother and sister, and they're not boyfriend or girlfriend. They're just two people who have been thrust together by circumstance basically. And also because Ray Lovelock's character is kind of an asshole. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. The, the first the first few minutes are definitely make this guy the biggest asshole we can possibly make him. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, 
to the degree that you almost uh, well, I kind of thought he was going to die very early on. He was that much right. of a soul. Uh, one thing that I mean, and this is this is just kind of talking about these kind of movies in general, is that again, like Deathline, mm-hmm. you could if you didn't know what this was and you didn't know the title, you could kind of walk into this and think it could kind of be anything based on that first you know fifteen twenty minutes. I mean, yeah. this could be kind of a like little romantic comedy. I they kind of made me wish that Jennifer Lopez or somebody would make a movie <laughs> where it's like you know it's like oh the wedding planner, and then like halfway through it's like oh no really this is a zombie movie. <laughs> you know? That would be fun. There, there, there is. There really is a sense that you know, if you did kind of wander into this not knowing anything about it, you could be completely misled about what kind of movie you're watching for a good half of this film, because it starts off as this sort of little, you know, kind of meet cute between these two, between between the asshole and the beautiful redhead, where they're kind of hanging out, and you think, well, they're they're going to bang later. That's going to be great, and then it becomes this sort of murder mystery thing. That has this kind of maybe supernatural bent, or maybe this you know yeah. it's, it's not clear what's going on, and then only you know kind of towards the end does it really become you know like straight up zombie horror film. And I really like the way it transitions between those things. It's definitely got that genre mashup thing in a way. Again, and it feels very modern. It feels very twenty first century. But it is the sort of thing to where you know walking into this and kind of knowing it's a it's a zombie film. You, you do sort of, or at least a horror film, you know, you do sort of like run into the, why am I watching 20 minutes with these people chatting <laughs> with you? And, you know, like there, there's yeah. a little bit like, and that's where, you know, some of the, some of the kind of, uh, there are a lot of people in this doing things, but not really to any great effect. That's kind mm-hmm. of where we get to ding it, where, you know, it is kind of like, you know, we, we kind of walked into this movie for zombies and instead we've got, there's a photographer and his girlfriend and, uh, there's a pharmacist and stuff is happening and th- there's a there's a murder investigation and uh, that guy's an asshole. If there's a bigger yeah. asshole than our lead here, it's definitely the detective, which is... Oh, yeah, yeah. I, nice, mean, yeah. I mean, Ray Lovelock's character, he's basically just, you know, he's kind of the uh, antisocial, urbane guy, you know, modern dude who seems like he's a real massive dick, but... By the time we get to the end of the film, you're like, nah, he's actually a really decent guy, and he tries to do the right thing and, and tries to save the day, you know? And then you just... I mean, he, he's willing to save the world. He's just a deep misogynist. That's really... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Arthur Kennedy, who's just the the stereotypical, uh, I, I assume alcoholic, sort of slightly Scottish cop who uh, <laughs> who who wants to pin this on uh, the these hippies with their uh, faggot clothes and uh, you know <laughs> like that that's the classic quote uh, and you'll yeah. probably hear that at the beginning of the uh, episode by the way yeah. um this little stinger but <laughs> he 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 does feel like he's like perpetually 2 minutes away from killing the kid and then planting a gun on him Mm-hmm. Like there, there is that you know, like oh no, no, I, I, I know you did it. We're just looking for the reason you did it, or the the way to oh, prove that you. Oh did, yeah, the, you did this. There, there's, there's no sense that this guy is actually trying to be an investigator. Which you know, for a while, I was kind of like, it's going to kind of give me that kind of Fargo structure where it's going to you know kind of be about like this thing that happened, and then we're going to follow the detective around, and he's going to be our lead, you know, or kind of like Deathline does, you know, where mm-hmm. you know it, it kind of remind me a little bit of Deathline, which I guess is only you know, a year or two uh, difference. So, you know, it kind of makes sense, but it kind of gave me a little bit of that vibe, but then it goes in a completely different direction with, with that character as well. So again, uh, nicely done. It, it, it's, it's, it mixes it up pretty well. Yeah. And I, I like how um, all these sort of elements, you're right. Like for a little while you start to get, okay, where's this going to go? But it all sort of comes together really quickly near the end. Like by the, by the time you get halfway through the film, all the stuff sort of starts coming together really quick. Yeah. Like you got the sister of, of our uh, main lead who's a uh, heroin addict and, and her husband, and they've been having problems. The husband's the photographer. And I, and I like how the main reason the police have nothing else to go on other than these two are probably murderers or somehow involved in these killings is because you don't have these big waves of zombies or anything like you would in night of the living dead. Right. You just, just have the one zombie carrying the radiation around. And when it can find more corpses to uh, put the radiation into, then you get more zombies. But until then you don't get that. And also uh, I like how they're constantly working on that fucking machine when they're starting out. Oh, it, it only goes a mile. But halfway through the film or near the end of the film, it's like, oh, we've, we've boosted it to five miles. Now, all of a sudden, anything that's died within five miles can now get up and start going around killing people. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
which is uh, which is just, yeah, it's it's a nice little uh, way to uh, in, inject a little bit more tension into the plot, and also it's still only it's still got that that sort of slightly uh, low key kind of thing where it's not like and now we've got it works over a thousand miles because yeah. where this you know it's not it's not like oh and now this is going to be all of Europe is going to have this this problem. It's it's it, it's still it has a I really like it when these things stay kind of small scale and mm-hmm. you know kind of the, the larger world is implied. Yeah, and I like how the soundtrack kind of the soundtrack aside, like the score, the music is is good, but how within the sort of the soundtrack, whenever you see one of the zombies, or you know, every once in a while, one of the characters, you, you'll just start hearing that humming of the machine in the background, right. and it just kind of keeps reminding you that this is happening like all the time, like it's still going and going and going. Yeah. I do have a question, and I, I do want to ask you on this whether you think there's any supernatural elements to this. Because even though the zombies seem to be created by scientific means, essentially, there's the uh, part with the photograph where they they were looking on the photograph reel to see if they got a picture mm-hmm. of the zombie, and the zombie's not in the photograph at all. And so, would you do you think it's maybe some effect of the radiation is like shielding them from being ph- uh, photographed or? What <laughs> I think that the the film sort of treats you know vitalism as kind of valid science basically, and vitalism being the idea that there is some you know like essence of life that is like there's some substance in you know living tissue that just sort of mm-hmm. like makes it alive as opposed to it being a sort of a the nature of like a pattern of like chemistry and biology that sort of makes things alive versus dead, and this is uh you know. This this is pretty common in you know kind of kind of folk versions of these kinds of stories that there's mm-hmm. a, you know essentially there's some like smoke or there's some like like I mean literally the word spirit means breath you know and so right. and so it is it, so that but uh, there was certainly this idea that there were there was some kind of scientific justification um, certainly not in 1974 but I mean it is you know kind of as late as kind of the early 19th century that was pretty establishment uh, kind of view and um, I just kind of view it as, as it kind of is, is, you know, playing on those kinds of ideas in which, mm. you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, the whole thing of like, well, a flower is still alive for a while after you pick it. And therefore, you know, like kind of human beings can still have, they still have that essence of life in them. And that if you kind of reanimate it by some, you know, like sonic means, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's, it, it sort of plays by like kind of vaguely scientific rules, even though it's, it's obvious kind of bunk. It's not, it's not kind of right. real, but it, uh, and it doesn't really kind of dig into this, you know, it doesn't dig into the rules, which is one of the things I like about it. It just kind of presents it as a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think it's probably something that you could you could probably sort of you can kind of squint and nod along with it and kind of go, yeah, that sort of makes sense. I mean, I I, I don't necessarily think that it's uh, it's tipping its hand either way. I mean, basically, what I'm saying is I think the film like kind of plays. It is not kind of doing this kind of overtly supernatural reading. But it exists in a world in which science does not work the way science works in yeah. our world, right? right, you know? right. Mm. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. I was just kind of wondering because although George Grau or Jorge Grau, there, I just did it. George Grau, fuck me. Yeah. Jorge Grau, <laughs> sort of. Although he gives more explanation for his zombies than uh, Romero did in the first uh, mm-hmm. Night of the Living Dead, he still kind of hints here and there that oh, there might be alternate explanations going on or alternate things going on because. Another thing I noticed, these zombies, they go up quick. Like, you, you set them on yeah. fire, that's the way to destroy them, by the way. Like, you can't, you know, destroy the brain and then the ghoul is dead or whatever. You you have to actually set them on fire. And they go up, like, they're like dry hay. Right. <laughs> so it, it, there's almost, like, a kind of slightly supernatural element to it. Or maybe it's just, you know, again, it's, it's the bunk science. Oh, the radiation that they're soaked with makes them highly flammable. <laughs> it turns out that the um, the radiation turns all of the water in their system to acetone. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and also there's the, the weird thing of the first zombie we see, who's this local like bum who who just wanders around and begs for money, but apparently he died a week earlier by by drowning. Every time you see him, he's wet. So. Hmm. It, that's that's kind of a weird thing too. Like it almost makes you think either he goes back to the river periodically, or there's something like this, some other weird thing going on. 
I mean, the the zombies in the in this they're definitely a lot smarter than the Romero zombies. They can reason things out. They can attack with weapons. They seem to have some slight sense of consciousness and purpose. You know, yeah. uh, I mean, at the end, uh, and spoilers if you haven't seen this movie, you know, you might want to shut off now. But our heroes all die at the end. <laughs> but yes. uh, but our hero Ray Lovelock comes back and gives Arthur Kennedy his wish. Who you know Arthur Kennedy is saying, I, "I wish you would come back so I could kill you again." He comes back and he gets Arthur Kennedy, <laughs> which uh, is awesome. By the way, I, I love yeah. that. But but it shows there's more purpose. There's more going on in the zombies' heads than just uh, oh, "I want to eat your flesh" kind of thing. So, which is ironically the way that the uh, Romero zombie movies would go, mm-hmm. you know, kind of with. Uh... Land of the Dead, and you know some of some of the later ones definitely have a, a more of a, a sense of sort of intelligent zombies or the, yeah. the zombies are, which uh, you know who knows Romero may have. I mean, I'm sure Romero saw this at some point and might you have. Know, yeah. You know, uh, uh, one of the things I really liked was the uh, just the effect of the uh, zombies kind of rising from. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there, there's this really nifty. Um, it just looks really cool to see them. You know, kind of because it, it feels like they're like being pulled up with strings almost, you know. They uh, they rise kind of like uh, Nosferatu kind of. Yeah, idea, very, you know? very much so. And, uh, it was it was well enough done that I was not immediately, it was not immediately obvious to me how they achieved the effect, which is uh, something that's uh, nice in a, in a film from 1974, where I'm like, oh, that actually looks like cr- creepy and interesting, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like a, a really nifty little special effect that is, um, you know, subtle but also uh, re- really effective. Um, Either that or those zombies did a hell of a lot of ab crunches. Like they just, yeah. <laughs> they could just, yeah, I can just sit up on a dime. You know, they had, they had, you know, they, they had abs of steel like ten years before that was the thing. You know? <laughs> I don't know if I have anything else to say. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I feel like I feel like I really like this, but it's kind of straightforward. It's like, yeah, this is really uh, good. Check it out. It's, I mean, it's, there, there, there is the sort of, I guess I could mention there, there is the sort of environmental message. Like again, that yeah. sort of goes back to. Romero kind of, you know, put your thoughts on your sleeve kind of thing. And uh, Grau, I think, does it here. Like the opening montage of uh, rural to city, rural to city. You'll notice like all the uh, shots of the city. It's people looking cramped and mad and sick and smoke and fumes and pollution. And then you see like the beautiful rural uh, landscape. And and then basically this movie's about that being intruded upon by civilization kind of thing. Yeah, no, there, so you get a streaker with an afro, by the way, too. Yeah, no, there was just a streaker. I was like, oh, look, how, how nice, you know. Um, I actually, I mean, I, I have a hard time, uh, you know, kind of looking negatively on those uh, city scenes just because, like, oh, look, it's Italy in the 70s. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go have a cappuccino now. You know, it's yeah. just very, um, the, the, it was, uh, I was I was really surprised uh, just kind of watching it that uh, they were pretending that any of this was set in Britain. You know, like, oh no, this is not clearly Italy in 1973. No, not at all. No, they 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 tried their best because again, like I said, they did shoot some stuff in, Eng- in the English countryside, but most of it was Italy. Like they they did do like the Greater Manchester Barnes Hospital and Cheadle and a couple other places. Uh, the church scenes were sh- shot, I believe, in in England, but then like all the countryside and most of the town stuff you see otherwise is obviously Italian. <laughs> it's just you know, and I mean they've got most of the people. I think maybe Ray Lovelock might be doing a British accent, but pretty much everybody else in this is dubbed except for Arthur Kennedy, because you don't have to dub him. He's just doing a bad Scottish accent. (laughs) (laughs) DVD info for this. Anchor Bay released this on DVD in uh, 2000. That's out of print. Of course, Blue Underground picked it up uh, like they did just basically everything Anchor Bay made. They picked it up in 2007. That's the one I own. Uh, They also did a two-disc DVD in 2016, and weirdly enough, the Blu-ray preceded that. Uh, the same edition preceded that in 2009 uh, from Blue Underground. So those are all ways you can see that. Uh, I believe it's also on YouTube, Rare Lust. And like you said, it, it was is it streaming on Amazon? or uh... It is not. Um, no? it is, it's one of those where I think there's probably a rights issue because it's got the not available to stream on the surface at this time, um, which right. is usually a sign that two giant corporations are fighting over something. Yeah, and that and that's the moment where I'm like, well, you know, um, (laughs) there's there's a reason that 
I saw I saw a tweet. I retweeted it this uh, a couple of days ago, which you know is something that I definitely agree with. Which was, uh, you know, when these kinds of films are not readily available on DVD to purchase, you know, and when there is no uh, legal streaming option available for this kind of stuff, pirating it is actually a, a an art, it's actually kind of a work of archiving. You know, it's it's sort of a it's sort of you know. You did not give me an easy way to access this. So, you know, you, giant company, are making this harder to get. You are making this go away. And it is fans of it and people talking about it that are going to keep it alive. And so uh, I, I feel I feel no I feel no uh, <laughs> feel no guilt over over uh, having having a pirated this. So, you know, uh, you know, if the if the uh, if I get sued by a giant corporation, I will feel bad. But, you know, until then, <laughs> Yeah, come at us, bro. Fucking whatever. That... No, no, please, please don't. Actually, please do not come <laughs> after us. I do not have any money. It is fine. I'm not going to prison for ten years for uh, or paying a fifty thousand dollar fine for like pirating. Uh, you know, let saving corpses lie. I don't like it that much, but uh, <laughs> it would be really nice if it would be really nice if all you companies would get your shit together and just make this stuff uh, like a two dollar rental. Like already, right, yeah. Man, just, just get over yourselves. D- digital rights are just bullshit at this point. Like it's just fucking, it's nonsense. It's just you're actually stopping yourself from making money. I you, would absolutely have done like a two or three dollar rental for this. I yeah. I do it all the time for these movies. You know, that I would have had no issue doing that. You did not make it available to me, and therefore, uh, I don't feel bad. Yep. People actually like to pay for art. It's, yeah, it's, it's I will. Concept. I will pay, particularly for stuff that is that is older. Particularly for stuff that is like, I mean, and this is a really good looking print that I watched. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this looked good. You know, it, it wasn't like kind of one of those cheapy, you know, just kind of throw it out things. I absolutely would have happily paid a the, the biggest company in the world a few dollars to get to watch this, and uh, unfortunately, uh, I didn't have that as an option. So. Yeah. Yeah, so um, don't know what we're gonna watch uh, next time. I gotta figure that out. I've got all next week off, and maybe I can finally get around to um, brokering some uh, sort of guest spot deals that we were were planning on doing in this sort of uh, horror cycle. So that might happen. We'll see what happens. Uh, we'll let you guys know. Daniel, where can people find you on the interwebs? You can find me on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. I do a podcast uh, called Wrong with Authority. That's wrongwithauthority.libson.com. Uh, and that is a podcast about movies about history and the history they're about. Um, that's the thing that I'm doing the most uh, right now. So go check that out. Yeah. And you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can find our Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Facebook links. Join the Facebook group. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook. I have not yet changed it to they must be destroyed like we discussed uh, an episode <laughs> ago or so. Uh, I, for, I just forgot. I haven't seen if I could do it yet. Uh, it, yeah. it might happen. But yeah, that would be the best place to find out what's coming up uh, next on the podcast. So if you want to join up there and every once in a while people post interesting things, it's not a super busy movie group. But at the same time, I've, we've never had one asshole on the group either. So yeah, except, uh, for, except for us. It's just, yeah. it's just us. We're the assholes, which tells you all you need to know, really. <laughs> uh, but yeah, until then, uh, thank you, Daniel. And thank you all for listening. And we will see you next episode. Bye-bye. Cheers.
You've been listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For other episodes, our Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Facebook group links, as well as podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.